Well, good morning, church. I'm good. How are you guys? I heard someone say, how are you? I just took it for me. So anyway, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 5. We're going to finish up the chapter, verse 14, to the end of the chapter, verse 21. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and these guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 1 John chapter 5. There's a hand up. First John chapter 5, verse 14 through 21 this morning. Starting in verse 14, we read, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Tom, my message this morning is Yoho, Yoho, the Christian life for me. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place where we can spend time as a church in your word with 100% confidence, Holy Spirit, that you have something to say to each one of us in this place today. Lord, we pray for us that we would have, we would have open ears to receive exactly what it is you have to say to us this morning, and not only hear it, Lord, but apply it to our lives. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has not, not yet committed their life to you, they're not born again this morning, they're not saved, would you especially speak to their heart this morning that they would hear what it means to know you and they would respond to the gospel message. Thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've ever been to Disneyland, I know we have a lot of Californians that moved out here, and, and if the first thing you do, you go on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, that song is stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. We pillage, we plunder, we rifle, we loot. Yo-ho, me hearty, yo-ho. You guys are going to sing it now all during the day. But someone has changed the lyrics, and, and I, I tried to do it myself. It's not as good as what I found someone else did. They put it this way. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a Christian life for me. My life was a mess, I must confess. I didn't know which way to go. And then when I prayed, he stayed me that day. Praise God, ye hearties, yo-ho. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a Christian life for me. I say that because I would say that without question, the greatest life there is, is the Christian life. Think about this. We have our sins forgiven. We have all of our guilt and shame taken away. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God's word to guide us in hope of eternal life in heaven with our Savior. What can be better than that? More Christians today need to realize all that we have in Christ. 
I read an interesting article from pollster George Barna. He was speaking about the minimal impact that Christianity seems to be having in our society today. He said this, Christianity is having a minimal influence on thoughts, words, and deeds of people under the age of 40. And he examined 100 indicators of attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors showing that Christians were very similar to non-Christians in their everyday behavior. Barnett said non-Christians expect Christians to differ in the religious realm. And I would add that Christians should differ from non-Christians in every realm, not just in the religious realm. We should differ not just because we show up in church on Sunday or at a midweek Bible study. We should conduct our business differently, treat our husbands differently, our wives differently, raise our children different than the world. We should live differently according to different values. And yet the problem that we face today among Christians is that many believers are settling for a brand of Christianity that's not biblical. It embraces Jesus as Savior, but neglects Him as Lord. Real big on self-esteem, but real you know, small on self-denial. Huge on liberty, but yet small on holiness. High on experience, but low on living by the Word of God. We need to get back to the Christian life as presented to us in the New Testament. Not a watered-down, anemic version, but a muscular, strong Christianity. So for that reason, I want to look at three things this morning as we finish up the book of 1 John and that what this Christian life is all about, if you're taking notes. Number one, we're going to see that the Christian life is a prayerful life. Number two, we're going to see that the Christian life is a holy life. And number three, the Christian life is the real life. First, number one, the Christian life is a prayerful life. Look at verses 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That word confidence there means freedom of speech. We have the freedom of speech in Jesus Christ that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And we can be assured that whatever we ask, we will have. Now, this is not that positive confession that we see in some churches that that teach the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and it's yours. And if you don't receive it, then it's a lack of faith. Like God is some divine butler giving us whatever we want. Listen, I have a positive confession. I'm positive that's not what prayer is. With that said, the privilege of prayer is powerful. George Mueller, who fed thousands of orphans with food provided for them only through answered prayer. He didn't go out and solicit food. Just through answered prayer, people would bring food by. He said this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of God's willingness. See, what John is saying here is that, first of all, when you pray, you can have the utmost confidence that God hears your prayers. I mean, isn't that great to know that we can always get through to God 24 hours a day, 365 days in a year? Thankfully, God hasn't succumbed to the voice messaging systems like everything else has. I can't stand those messaging systems. They frustrate me. You know, you call a cell phone company. Uh, welcome to cell phone company. You know, uh, uh, press one for the main menu. Okay, uh, is this a problem with your phone? Press one. If not, press two. Okay, you press one. Okay, is this a problem with your new phone? Press one. Okay, I press one. Is this a problem with the new phone that you just bought? Okay, press two. I press two. Good. So you have a problem with this new phone that you just bought. Uh, to help you with your new phone that you just recently purchased, press one. Press one. Welcome to the main menu. What is your problem? <laughs> I mean, if you've done that, it's frustrating. 
Can you imagine praying and getting the runaround from voicemail from God like that? Hello, this is heaven. Your call is important to us. God is busy with other callers right now, but your call will be answered in the order in which it was received. You know, sometimes from our perspective, it does seem as though God does not answer in the way or in the timing that we desire. But John here says that this is something that we can have the utmost confidence in, that we know that he hears us, and we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. This is the confidence or assurance that God will answer. I read of a man traveling in China that went into this beautiful temple dedicated to these hideous idols. There he saw this crowd of worshipers taking a piece of paper on which something had been written, folding them up, and, and then with these mud making, uh, making a mud ball with the paper and throwing these mud balls at the idols. Well, the traveler asked the guide about the meaning of this. He says, these people are writing out their prayers to their God. If it sticks to the statue, their God hears their prayer. If it does not stick, their God does not hear their prayer. Aren't you glad we don't serve a God like that? God gives us assurance that we serve our God. Uh, we know who hears us. Now, we may not see the answer to our prayer immediately, but we can have that inner confidence knowing that God will answer. The pages of the Bible, or rather really even the pages of history, are filled with reports of answered prayer. See, we're not beggars. We're children coming to a wealthy father who loves to give their children, his children, what they need. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. If you were to translate that to the original language, it would sound something like, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. And the reason that it's important for us to know is that there are times when we pray about something once, maybe twice, maybe even three times, but if we don't receive that answer right away in the affirmative, then we give up and say, well, God must not be listening. And, and, and we stop praying as much for it. Maybe even to the point where you don't pray at all. Jesus says, no, keep Praying. Because we need to understand that when we pray, a spiritual battle is going on behind the scenes. Daniel chapter 10 is a classic example of that. I love that the story's there. Daniel's been praying, requesting before God, but when the answer finally came, the angel came to Daniel and said, listen, the reason it's taken so long is I, I left 21 days ago to give you an answer, but along the way here, a demon came out and was attacking me, and, and Michael the archangel had to come and put that demon to one side. Now I'm finally here. Here's the answer. I love that story because it shows us that there's a spiritual conflict that is waging behind the scenes when we pray. So it may be that you've asked God for something in your life and that he wants to do, but just because it's not happened yet does not mean that it's never going to happen. His delays are not necessarily his denial. So keep praying. And let me tell you, there are definitely certain prayers that the devil will oppose more than others. For example, when you pray for the salvation of a person, you need to know that's a spiritual battle. You need to know that that's the last thing that Satan wants is to be released to releasing one of his captives. We're told in 2 Timothy 2.26 that, that, that those that don't know Christ are taken captive by the devil to do his will. And the only way to free them from the spiritual bondage is through prayer. That's why we need to pray. Pray that God would open a person's eyes so they would see their need for Jesus Christ. I would say the same thing about our nation. You need to know there's a spiritual battle taking place uh, about our nation. 
Satan does not want our nation to turn back to God. Our nation needs prayer like never before. And I believe it's only through prayer that this nation will turn around. Second Chronicles 7.14, I think we all know this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So don't give up. Keep praying. Now, here's something that we need to recognize. There are certain roadblocks that can hinder our prayer life. I mean, first of all, before we come before the throne of God in prayer, we must have to make sure that we we don't have a heart that's condemning us. John talked about this earlier, chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And I said that because unconfessed sin is a serious obstacle To answer prayer. In other words, if you're practicing sin right now as a Christian, it can bring your prayer life to a screeching halt. That's not to say that you have to be sinless to pray. If that were the case, then none of us would be able ever be able to approach God. But that's why John said in 1 John 2, 1, that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But unconfessed sin, it's a serious obstacle in our prayer life. Now, secondly, did you know that men, that your relationship with your wife can also be a serious obstacle in your prayer life? Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So unconfessed sin can bring a hindrance in your prayer life. But men, not honoring your wife, not dwelling with them with understanding, submitting to one another in the fear of God, as Ephesians uh, 4 tells us, it can hinder your prayer life. Your relationship with other people can hinder your prayer life as well. If there's something between you and another, another believer that you need to settle. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Unconfessed sin can hinder your prayer life. Not dwelling with your wife with understanding, with understanding can hinder your prayer life. And number three, if there's an odd between you and a Christian brother or sister, that can hinder your prayer life. Now, if that's all good, then you say, oh, great, now I can ask for whatever I want, and the Lord will give it to me. Not so fast. Look at verse 14 again. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. See, over the years, I've come to realize what you may really think you want may not necessarily be the best thing for you. That's why our prayer should be according to your will, God, not my will. And the truth is, God always answers your prayers. It's just that sometimes the answer is no. That's an answer. Sometimes it's wait, not now. We don't really like that answer. We, you know, we live in such a fast-paced, you know, everything right now. You know, we, we, want, we want it things right now, want an answer right now. If I have to wait more than five seconds on the Internet for the page to come up, I'm clicking somewhere else. Want an answer right now. 
Yet God says, no, there's a time to wait. Wait for me to move. Because sometimes God will do something totally different than what you even thought possible, and it'll absolutely blow your mind. When you look back and go, oh, whoa, what you have for me was so much better than what I was praying for. Thank you for not answering that prayer. It's been said that prayer is a mighty instrument not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Listen, it's so important, especially if you're young and single and you're thinking about getting married. Oh, Lord, she's so cute. And you do this Jericho march around her house. Oh, I just, just Lord, I, I claim her in Jesus' name. Listen, you're talking about your future wife or your future husband. You better end with the prayer, not my will, but yours be done. I like what Ruth Graham once said, uh, wife of Billy Graham. She says, if God had answered every prayer of mine, I would have married the wrong man seven times. She said, I'm so glad God didn't answer all my prayers. See, God gives his best to those who leave uh, the choice with, with him. You never have to be afraid of the will of God. Because there's, there's times when that's all we can pray, not my will but thine be done, because we simply don't know what God's will is for that matter. And yet, and yet there's many, many promises found in the word of God that they're just sitting there waiting for us to pray and to ask God to move on and to know that absolutely he hears us and we can have that which we ask of him. Is there a need that you have in your life right now? Not a want, a need. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Pray that prayer. God promises he'll answer that prayer in the affirmative. He'll provide for your need. Do you lack wisdom? In your life right now. Have the decision that you need to make. Pray the prayer. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Just ask. Seek. Knock. Maybe you feel like you've just given up and you're just too weak to go on. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you feel like you're not persecuted enough. I don't know if you want to pray this one, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, here's my point. We need to learn to pray confidently and scripturally for the things that we know that God has already promised for our lives. Certainly it will make our lives flow a lot better. You may be going through a hard time right now and you're wondering, is God even listening to your prayers? But please know this, even though you cannot see how the situation is going to turn out or why it's come upon you, you can know with, with absolute certainty that it flows from the love of God and it is controlled by Him. As it's been said, when the heat gets turned up, know that God has His hand on the thermostat. So if you don't get an answer right away, don't think that it's because God doesn't love you because oftentimes it's because He loves you that you're not getting that answer right away. That's why we're told in Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then Isaiah 40, 31, I think most of us know this verse, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I like what the old hymn writer wrote. Uh, he says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a privilege that we have to talk 
to our Heavenly Father, the Creator of the, the universe, God Himself. So the Christian life is a prayerful life. Number two, point number two, the Christian life is a holy life. Look at verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, now, it says seeing, not hearing about someone sinning a sin, seeing a brother sinning a sin. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. So what is John talking about here when he says there is sin leading to death? I do not say that he should pray about that. Simple answer. We're not sure. We're not sure. I mean, notice the verse doesn't say what that sin is leading to death. And since the Bible doesn't say what it is, there's no way we can say for sure what it is. But we do know that the issue is still the life of the believer. We know he's talking about living a holy life, and this is about the believer. So here's what I think. I don't believe it's a specific sin. Rather, it's a kind of sin that kills. I believe that this sin unto death is a continual rebellion against God. Understand that there's a difference between sin and willful sin. There's a difference between sinning, stumbling, being sorry for it, and turning from it, and continually, willfully, habitually sinning. In fact, the Bible says if you're habitually sinning like that, you are of the Father, your Father, the devil. Let me put it very plainly. If you are practicing a lifestyle or engaging in a practice that is forbidden in Scripture, one must ask the question if you're really a child of God. Now, with that said, believers can get caught up in sin. And if you're sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, know that He is lovingly trying to wake you up and to warn you uh, to get off this perilous path that you put yourself on. Because the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, He chastens, He disciplines. Let me loosely paraphrase that. Whom God really loves, He spanks. Because <laughs> He cares about you. He'll provide the, the, apply the board of education to your seat of understanding. And sometimes, at times, we need to be taken out to the woodshed. But if that woodshed doesn't produce repentance, then that's where the danger sets in. The Bible does teach that believers can get so involved in sin and not repent, and if they continue to rebel and continue to rebel, that God actually judges them by removing them from the earth. Because John here is talking about believers, he's saying that if you continue in your sin and don't repent, but continue to rebel, it's going to lead to death. Now, we know that's something that, that, that God has done in the past. In the Old Testament, we have an example. Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, remember their story? They put coals of fire in the incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. And in this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he commanded. It says there, so fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. They were in sin, they didn't stop, and they were gone. God took them out. You can read uh, Joshua chapter 7, the story of Achan, who because of his greed and covering, tried to cover it all up. Ultimately, he was found out, put to death. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, were struck down, dead, carried out of the room. Even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 warned about this concerning communion. 
and not discerning the Lord's body, not taking serious the things of the Lord. He said this in 1 Corinthians 11.30, that is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. See, the dangerous thing for us as believers is that we can become so deceived and justifying our sin or thinking that God's grace is sufficient that you can keep on sinning and sinning and think that you're not going to have to face any repercussions from it. Or even worse, that you think that somehow God just looks the other way. And this may go on and on, and yet you, you can't understand why you're not sensing the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life anymore. You, you can't understand why others are being blessed and you aren't. You can't understand why there's no peace in your life, only guilt. It's because you've gone from living a holy life set apart to a compromised life, not willing to turn back to Christ. And sadly, some believers are in that place today. There's some sin that they keep on playing with and they keep on toying with it. It's like the old slinkies or a little bouncing ball, you know, and they say, well, this is my thing and this is what I play with. It's not a big deal. Then they continue to come to church, and because in many churches today, you know, the, the Word of God isn't taught. They don't talk about sin. They think that, that and, you know, in their heart that everything is fine. And God says, no, everything's not fine. Because eventually that sin will eat away at a believer's life, and eventually it will destroy them. So I believe what John is saying here is that continual rebellion against God in the life of the believer will lead to suffering and even death. That's not what the Christian life is to be like. Now there comes a point where John says in verse 16, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. In other words, John seems to be indicating that there are times when we should no longer pray for certain people, that, that that's it, God's will is done. Now perhaps he's, he's referring to the Gnostics, remember we talked about this, who have continually rejected the deity of Jesus Christ, continually rejected the free gift of salvation. They've twisted Scripture so much that John says, you know what, enough is enough. Don't waste your time praying for them anymore. Now that might seem harsh, but we do know there are times when we should no longer witness to certain people. Concerning spiritual things, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Or in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 16, God says, Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear. God spoke through Hosea uh, concerning Ephraim, who had grievously backslidden. In Hosea 4.17, he said this, Ephraim has joined the idols, let them alone. In other words, God says, There's no need for further warning, no need for further praying at this time. Let their sin run its course. And it did. Now I can honestly say there's never been a, a time in my life that God said, don't pray for that person. And I hope I, I never hear that. Because Christians sometimes involve themselves in sin, but Christians should not live a lifestyle of deliberate sin and disobedience. Why? Well, John again tells us why. Look at verse 18 and 19. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now let's keep this in the context of what we've already studied. We learned again that we're not talking about an occasional sin, but rather a continual, habitual practice of sin. No Christian becomes sinless until we reach eternity. 
Certainly we should sin less, but again, what John is talking about here is those who, that whoever has been born again does not continually, habitually practice sin. Because we have a new nature. We have new desires, new appetite, and it's not interested in sin. Our interest should be now to live a holy life, a set-apart life, a life that no longer looks like the life that we once had in this world. A life where the world looks on you and says, you know, there's something different about you. You're changed. What happened? You don't like to party anymore. You don't want to drink anymore. It used to be so much fun when we partied together. How come you don't want to go watch these movies anymore or hang out in certain places? Well, I met Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and He's changed my life, and I no longer want to live a life of sin because Jesus saved me. I want to live a holy life, and I want that for you as well. See, the problem is, as Christians, is that can be a battle. Because of the enemies we face, we face three enemies all of which can lead us back to sin. The world, our flesh, and the devil. All that's in the world, we looked at in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's easy for us, especially in the times in which we're living, to yield to the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, the pride of life. The atmosphere, the culture around us, it's hard for us to keep our minds pure and our hearts true to God. And it's because of the world that we live in. Verse 19 says it lies under the sway of the wicked one. Literally, it sits on Satan's lap. Man, are we not seeing that in our world today? So true. We know that the Bible teaches that Satan is the prince of this world, the God of this age. He is the spirit of, of those who works in the children of, of disobedience. And the problem is that Satan has many temptations, many traps that he sets for believers to bring them back into the bonds of sin and bring them into that place of habitually practicing sin. That's why it's so crucial for us to keep our guard up at all times. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So not only do we have to deal with the world, the devil, and what he throws at us, we also have to know that our own flesh can be our enemy, that old nature that we were born with. It's still there, and and, and it causes us to not want to live holy lives. It's true that we have a new nature, but we don't always yield to that new nature. So how are we to live holy lives? The key is back in verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Now, at first read, that may sound like or seem like John is saying a believer keeps himself from sin, but that's not what the verse is saying. Yes, it's true that we as believers must keep ourselves in the love of God, but it's not true that a Christian must depend on himself to overcome Satan, the flesh, or this world. In an age of uncertainty, we know Jesus Christ keeps the believer so that the enemy cannot touch him. In fact, that word touch there, in verse 18, could be translated to say he cannot attach himself to that person. Peter's experience with the devil helps us to understand this truth. Remember what Jesus said to Peter in, in Luke 22, 31 and 32. Imagine Jesus saying this to you. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like that of wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. See, what we know is that Satan cannot touch any believer without God's permission. 
Satan wanted to sift Peter as wheat, we read, but the Lord said, not so fast. The Lord says, Peter, I prayed for you. And Jesus, Jesus' prayer was answered. Peter's faith did not ultimately fail, and even though his courage failed, Peter was restored and became a mighty soul winner. Whenever Satan attacked us, we can be sure that God gave him permission. And if God gave him permission, he's also going to give us the power to overcome because God will never permit us to be tempted or tested above what we were able to resist. Now let me say this very clearly. The devil cannot lay lay hold of the child of God. When you become a believer, no demon can ever enter your life and take you over. I mean, part of the good news is that we are out of the devil's clutches. Yes, Satan's real. His demons are real. They will distort, pervert, and try to trip you up. But if you are a Christian, you cannot say, well, the devil made me do it. You can't. The Bible asks the question, what fellowship does Christ have with the devil? There is none. Let me say this very clearly. The devil has no power over you beyond the power that you give him. James tells us in James 4, 7, and 8, Therefore submit to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That phrase, flee from you, can be translated, he will run away from you. He doesn't say you need to go to this deliverance service and have the demons cast out of you. The demon of chocolate, come out. The demon of, I don't know, whatever it is. No. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, when it comes to temptation and sin, we must not yield to him. It's kind of like, you know, maybe you were a kid, you're bouncing a ball in the house, and, and you know, you're bouncing and, and bouncing, and mom and dad say, stop bouncing that ball in the house, you're going to break something. And sure enough, one more bounce, and bam, there goes that figurine, there goes that lamp, whatever it is. Why do you keep going? Well, because you think you can handle it. I'm not going to miss, I'm not going to miss. And that's the same way temptation is. And playing around with no big deal, no big deal. Really? I mean, famous last words, just ask Samson. I mean, this guy, classic example of a guy who thought he could handle it. Here's a guy who killed Philistines for fun and profit on the battlefield. So when the devil wanted to bring Samson down, he thought, there's no way I can beat this guy on the battlefield. So he changed his tactics and set his sights on him in the bedroom. Sent this very attractive young woman, Delilah. Her name means delicate. She came to Samson right up front with her intention. She said to him, tell me the secret of your strength so I might afflict you. You know, if you start to date someone and if she says that to you, okay, we're, we're done. But Samson probably thought, oh, yeah, you little delicate thing. I could bench press you. What are you talking about? Afflict me. I could curl you with one arm. What are you going to do to me? But he, he played with a thought. It was like a game to him. Until he took a one-way trip to Delilah's barbershop. And it was all over. Found out the hard way what happens when you play with sin. So you might think you can handle this certain thing, but it gets out of control. That's how temptation is. You know, most, most uh, people that become drug addicts don't start out that way. Most of them don't say, I think I'll try meth today. I mean, and I, no, they don't. They start out with smoking a little marijuana. I can handle this. I know when to stop. Most people don't become alcoholics and start with a, a bottle of bourbon. They start out with a little wine, a little beer, a little this, a little that. And you know the rest of the story. Don't play with this stuff. Be careful. Keep your guard up. That's what can happen. 
Don't mess around with these things. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what we need to remember. John's calling us to live holy lives and not give in to the temptations of the enemy. Purify your hearts. Live holy lives. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's a prayerful life. It's a holy life. And finally, point number three, the Christian life is the real life. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Don't you love how many times it says the word true? So much fake news in the world today. It's so good that we as Christians, we have the real news, the, the true news, the good news. Jesus Christ is the true God. We know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, John says. Because we have met the true God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we are in contact with reality. We have the real thing. We hold in our hands a very real, true Word of God that we can live by, holy life by, we can trust. See, it's all about our fellowship with God. A true Christian is one that has fellowship with God through prayer. One who resists the devil and lives holy lives. One who finds strength from the promises of the Word of God because God's Word is true. It's the real thing. This is the real life that God has for us as believers. He's given us His Word, as John says, so we might know Him who is true because we are in Him who is true, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we know God and we have eternal life. That's what being a Christian is all about. Everything else is just an imitation. You know, your people say, well, you know, it makes no difference what a man believes as long as he's sincere. Really? Does it make a difference what a pharmacist believes? How about a surgeon or a chemist? Makes all the difference in the world. I read a poem that goes, Shed a tear for Jimmy Brown, for Jimmy is no more, for what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. H2O is water, H2SO4 is sulfuric acid. So, listen, in this world, there is so much confusion about life, we can know that the Christian life is the real life. That as Jesus said, of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Finally, John adds this one more little powerful statement. Remember, he's 90, maybe 100 years old, and so John says, here's what it all comes down to. Verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. At first, it kind of seems it's out of sync with the rest of the book, but in fact, it's very much in sync with what he's taught throughout the whole book of 1 John. The idols that John refers to are not you know, idols like, like uh, movie stars or American Idol or sports heroes. Remember, this entire epistle is written in response to those who embrace and propagate the spirit of Gnosticism. Gnosticism can be seen in anyone who worships in his own concept of Christ, is anyone who idolizes his, his own intellectual theology about God. And it will always manifest itself in, in pulling away from the body of Christ. And yet for us, an idol can be anything that takes the place of God and your relationship with God in your life. Listen, everyone is passionate about something. You know, some people are passionate about their clothes. Some people are passionate about music, about sports, football, or golf. Guys, young guys especially, they're passionate about video games. Day in and day out, hey, have you played this new game, this new character? Some are passionate about cars. Oh, look at this new car. Some are passionate about careers, about you know, other things in life. And the problem is it can become so important to them that they eat, drink, and breathe it. And it can become their God, their idol. 
So an idol can be anything that takes the place of God in your life. So let me ask you this. Is there something right now that is more important to you than Jesus Christ? Let me rephrase that. Is there something in your life right now that if God were to ask you to give it up, would you be willing to do so? If not, that could very well be an idol. Not because God wants that thing. God wants your heart. God wants first place in our hearts and in our lives and in our service. But if that thing, if that pursuit, if that possession or whatever it is gets in the way of your relationship with God, it could be an idol and God wants it gone. You got an idol in your life right now? Is a relationship with someone more important to you than God? Maybe that relationship is keeping you from God. How do you know? We need to pray. Psalm 139 said this in verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. To go before the Lord. You know, it's good to have this periodic checkup with the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't know if there's any sin in my life. I don't know if there's any idols in my life. Lord, I don't know if, if anything I'm doing uh, or at least practicing is wrong. But if there is something that I'm not seeing, would you show it to me, please? That's a prayer that I can tell you without a shadow of doubt that, that he will answer. One modeled after that verse. I want to close with this story. It goes like this. The pastor went down to Haiti to share the gospel. Many people showed up. The pastor was given what he thought was a pretty good altar call. The problem was that he said, if you want to receive Christ, come forward. And the people all got up and turned around and went in the opposite direction. Well, the translator ended the service rather abruptly, and the pastor was quite perplexed and said, what is going on? The translator said, just wait. Just wait till tomorrow. Well, the next day, the people came to the conference, but they brought with them all their voodoo junk and all their idols. And the translator said to the pastor, these people have taken all of their idols out of their homes, dug them out of the ground, and now they want to smash them all in front of you and give their lives to Christ. You see, they didn't want to give their lives to Christ until they had first gotten rid of all their foreign gods. I like that. Yeah, the Bible, it just asks us to believe. But I also know that if God has shown you there are things in your life that should not be there, He'll give you the strength to get rid of it. He'll give you the strength to live a holy life. That's why John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because he knows if we're holding on to them, it could get to the point where it can be destructive in your life. Even to the point of death. The will of God is not for us to continue in sin. And if you've been made aware this morning of an error in your life that has sinned, something that the Spirit of God has convicted you of, then do something about it today. Turn from it today. I love this epistle. You know, great truth of theology, great things we can apply to our life. And the last thing, uh, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not born again today, give your life to Him today. Jesus died on the cross for every sin you've ever committed. You just need to confess it to the Lord. Turn from that sin. Get rid of those idols. Get rid of the sin. Lord, I don't want that. And put your faith and trust in Him. And he will save you. You can be born again today. Donald, Donald Barnhouse often closes church service with this prayer. Lord, dismiss us with your peace. Except for those who don't know you. Keep them miserable until they come to know the Prince of Peace. <clears throat> so, 
I don't want you to be miserable anymore. If you've never given your life to Christ, do so this morning. Make that step of faith. Tell the Lord you want to be born again. You want your sin forgiven. If you're a believer, you've made that that commitment to Christ, but you know there's that sin in your life and you, you need to confess it, do so today. Say, God, I confess it. I'm tell you what it is. I'm turning from it today. And then do what God's called you to do. So often in, in, in life, we, we, we get caught up in sin and we say, okay, this is the sin. I've blown it. I'm sorry, God. God, okay, I forgive you. Then it starts all over again. This is this vicious circle. No, we need to say, God, I'm sorry for the sin. Repent of it. And then turn and go in the right direction that he leads us. And God will lead us. And God will guide us. And he will forgive us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For your great grace. Thank you for your mercy in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. The best life is the Christian life, Lord. But, Lord, we recognize as we study your word that there are times that we can get off course and we can get off base and we can get caught up in sin. Lord, I pray for any believer here this morning that may be caught up in an habitual sin. Lord, I pray that you'd free them from that, that they would see that all it does is produce sadness and guilt and, and there's no joy. Help them to leave that old life behind and turn to you. Lord, we know your word promises you'll give us the strength to stand for you and to live for you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has never given their life to you, they're not born again this morning, Lord, speak to their heart. Help them to see their need for you, that they would make that commitment to follow you this morning. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to be born again today? You want your sin forgiven. You want to know if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. You want this Christian life that we've been talking about. If you've never given your life to Christ, would you raise your hand if you want to today so I could pray for you, anybody at all. Make that commitment to follow Christ today for the rest of your life. Just raise your hand. Father, thank you. And Lord, we do confess we are all sinners. Lord, we know that, that, that there's times that we just blow it. Help us to keep our hearts and minds focused on you, Lord. Help us to be in your word, to stay strong. Bless our week, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and do